Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks Podcast. My guest today is Angie Nowak. Angie, how are you? I am doing well. Thanks so much for having me. As I was talking to you a little bit before, you know, we bring on all kinds of different stories, uh, uh, from everything from suicide stories all the way up to different types of mental health stories, and not just mental health, but we do perseverance, we do motivational stuff, we do all these different things, and so the brain is very important to me. But a reason I wanted to bring you guys on here is because a lot of times when someone's telling a story, we've identified kind of some of their, their reasonings by persevering or some of the past that they've had, but there's really never been a show that I've done where there's a quantitative way of actually working through some of these problems that are hindering people, keeping them from growing, keeping them from being successful, so on and so forth. So tell us a little bit right now what Brain Code is all about. Yeah, so... Brain Code Centers is a brain mapping and neurofeedback company. We're actually one of the largest brain mapping and neurofeedback companies in the country, owned by Rachel Lambert. She is an absolutely phenomenal clinician and leader. And essentially what we do, both Rachel and I are licensed professional counselors, and then you can get board certifications in neuro, board certifications in QEEG. Those are kind of a, a separate thing. But Essentially, what we do is do a QEEG, it's a quantitative electroencephalogram map of the brain to look at exactly what it's doing. Um, we're going to see anxiety, depression, ADD, trauma, PTSD, brain injury, sleep issues, kind of all of the different things. But we're looking at it through electrical wave activity in the brain. That's kind of the, the scope and the lens in, in which we see it, as really all humans are capable of producing the same brainwave activity. Delta deep, slow sleep, theta drifting into sleep. Alpha is kind of your receptor that helps move the brain around. Beta should be clean energy. High beta is fight or flight. And we ultimately need all of those waves. If we are in a dangerous situation, high beta alerts our brain, right? And tells us, you know, holy cow, I'm not safe. I got to get the heck out of here. But if we're trying to go to sleep at night, if we're trying to work our job and our brain is lit up with fast wave activity, that's never going to serve us well. So, and when we do the map, it really doesn't matter kind of when I do it as I I'm doing it at a moment in time, but I'm looking at the neurological wave activity, the patterns your brain has ingrained over time. So I have people come in and are like, you know, I'm not really feeling anxious right now. Can you still tell that I'm anxious? Absolutely. I'm going to see those things no matter what. So that's kind of how we start. And then the actual treatment that we do is called neurofeedback. And neurofeedback is operant conditioning of the brain. It is reward-based training. We are teaching the brain to create new neural pathways to serve that person better. And we have neural pathways to everything, right? When we wake up in the morning, we never have to relearn how to walk, how to talk, how to eat. We already know how to do those things. We've learned them as a baby, committed them to permanency in the brain. And now we run over those same patterns every day equally as deeply ingrained to the neural pathways, to the things that we want, right? The walk, talk, eat, the really favorable things are neural pathways to things that are not serving us well. Anxiety, depression, trauma, brain injuries, not serving us. So with neurofeedback, we're not erasing old neural pathways. We're physiologically creating new ones and then teaching the brain to only take the new ones that we've created. And we do that with reward. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to educate me with, uh, with our, our audience, right? So there is actually a structure that you put on the head. This is not one of those things where you go in, you lay down, somebody starts talking to you and says, okay, I think this pathway is messed up. This is quantitative, correct? 
this is highly quantitative. Yeah. So this is not going to be talk therapy. This isn't EMDR. This isn't Reiki. This is very scientific. We are putting an electrode cap on the head. We're putting sensors on the brain. We're actually looking neurologically at what you're doing. This isn't feelings based. This is neurologically based. Which I think is incredibly important, right? And so when you have something that is then quantitative and then you say, okay, we're going to start reconstructing these nerve pathways, right? Which is the same thing with chronic pain. You build up these certain pathways. You got to rewind these pathways to get them back to a normal, normal receptor level. So that what I find fascinating, and, and, and maybe you can speak to this, why is this not so widely known? That is a great question. And honestly, I get asked it all the time. Parents come in and are like, well, this is the best thing ever. Why isn't everybody doing it? And here's, you know, here's kind of honestly the plain and simple answer. We are a culture that is geared towards meds. Whether or not you think that's good or bad, that's not an opinion. It is absolute fact. If you go to the doctor and you struggle with anxiety, you struggle with depression, you, you deal with anything. What are you going to hear? Here is a medication of which to minimize or manage symptomology, not necessarily, you know, how do we, what is actually happening? How do we get to the root of it? How do we solve it? How do we manage symptoms? That's our culture. And it's really easy. Meds are generally covered by insurance. You take a pill a day and it, you know, maybe does what you want it to do a little bit. Maybe it causes, you know, um, different side effects, things like that. But that is what our culture is geared towards. Our culture is not geared towards getting to the root. Same thing, you know, diabetes wise, right? How do we deal with diabetes? We take meds, we do insulin, these different things. And again, that's not a, that's not a judgment. It's just a fact. I have, I do have primary care physicians, counselors, neurologists who refer to us. That honestly is, is a smaller population of doctors that are referring to us versus more so people are, I generally have been on kind of the medication management wheel for a long time and eventually go, I got to get off this, right? How did I go from being on you know, one benzo to being on three different medications and this and this. So that that's really ultimately the reason that it, it honestly, it's a lot more work up front. Now, neurofeedback is a long-term solution, not a short-term fix, but it's more work to come in and do a brain map, to see me twice a week, to do 60 sessions, 40 sessions of neuro. That that takes more work on the front end versus it, it's a little bit easier to to take a med every day. Yeah, take the pill. Absolutely. Okay, here we go. Another question. What ages, what what ages are, are best to come into the clinic? Yeah, so generally we'll see, I would say four or five is usually the minimum. And that's because younger than that, and they're going to have a really hard time sitting still with the map. Ultimately, kind of my rule of thumb is if I can't bribe them, right? If I can't <laughs> bribe a kid, then we probably can't do the map because sitting still for a little bit of time while I put the cap on and different things is a little bit more challenging. And then age wise, as old, as old as you will come in, I have treated somebody who was in their late eighties as neurofeedback is increasing plasticity in the brain. It's keeping the brain fresh. If you think about your muscles, if you don't use your legs or your arms, they're going to start to atrophy. If you don't use your brain, if you're not creating new neural pathways, your brain's going to start to atrophy. Right. So I have older people coming in just to keep their brain fresh, just to really kind of flex that muscle that as we get older, we're not a lot of times flexing. So, you know, mental health is out of control. It's absolutely out of control now. And out of control. 
And so when I learned about you guys, I was like, you know what? What an amazing thing where there is actually something finally quantitative. Um, I, my oldest uh, son, he had Asperger's. And I mean, we were in a lost force. There was no way, uh, no one knew anything. And uh, you just kind of kind of lived by the symptoms. You lived by whatever you needed to do to try and reroute them. Again, probably doing different types of feedback right, based on the parenting skills or whatever you have. But my question probably here would be is, when you're looking at these brain scans, is there any predictive patterning as to how that person will progress? That is a really good question. So not necessarily, yes and no. So sometimes I get asked, you know, where did this come from, right? Somebody who let's say, you know, deals with, you know, just crippling anxiety or, or something like that. There's not a, there's not a, a thumbprint, a, a timestamp of like, ah, this is where, you know, this came from, things like that. Our, our brains are kind of made up of all the things. There's the biology, right? What our parents gave us. Then there's things that happen to us along the way. Kids who have experienced trauma, people who have experienced trauma, adoption, brain injuries, things like that all, all play into it. And there isn't necessarily a clear cut, you know, hey, this is what your brain pattern is. If we don't address this, you're going to turn out like this. We can have indicators though, right? If someone has a ton of fast wave activity, overactivity in their prefrontal cortex, I'm going to imagine that if they're slightly reactive as a kid and a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more, you know, lashing out, it's probably going to get worse, right? That, you know, it's a lot easier to tell a five-year-old no than it is a 25-year-old. Um, so I'm a very big, you know, fan of early intervention. Hey, let's work on their brain patterns now. So their brain develops around these new healthier wave activity patterns versus kind of, you know, ah, let's wait till they're, you know, 35 and, and have, you know, struggled a lot against their brain. One thing that is incredibly fascinating to me, and I sit here and I scratch my head thinking, why the hell is this not in every school? So what if we did this neurofeedback in all these schools? Would there be less school shootings? Would there be less drug use? Would there be happier uh, relationships as they grow up? Because perhaps, you know, their family shit at home or whatever it may be. But could this neurofeedback, by retraining those pathways, maybe even have the student themselves help with the, the parenting role at home? I mean, why, why is this not used everywhere? The one word answer to that is money numero uno. However, so there is an incredible book. It's called A Symphony in the Brain. And it's kind of on the history of neurofeedback and the origins of neurofeedback. And I'm going to butcher the study. There was a study done. And I want to say that it was in the 80s and it was in New York City where there was basically public funding and they put neurofeedback in low income, high risk schools. So rather than kids going to detention, they sent kids to neurofeedback. Test scores went through the roof. These kids' behavioral issues start incredible, incredible results rather than, Hey, I'm going to punish you because you don't have control of your brain. It was, Hey, let's put you in a situation to actually work on the root of what's going on versus bad behavior, bad behavior. It was like, Hey, let's, let's actually look at the neurology of what's happening. But at the end of the day, and so that, I mean, I recommend anybody read that book. If they're interested in neural feedback, it's incredible. The, at the end of the day, it's finances, right? That we cut arts programs, you know, all these things are getting cut out of schools and mental health, like you said, is absolutely through the roof. Even though at the day and age we live, we have more counselors, we have more information on mental health than we've ever had before, more access to mental health. Mental health is at its worst. So really what's the solution? And I would love to have the solution. I don't. I honestly believe that if we could get neurofeedback into schools, now that would also mean 
teacher involvement, parent involvement, right? Parents saying, absolutely, yes, you can you can look at my kid's brain and, and work on that. But even if 50% of parents signed on for that, I think that there would be incredible, impactful change, not only on children, but then on generations to come, right? Because they ultimately are the future. Who is the best candidate to come see you? At what level uh, does a parent or uh, a person come in and say, you know, like, like we all feel anxiety. We all feel a depression periodically. When, when is the time to come in and say, is my chemistry messed up? So that's a really good question. And it, it totally depends on the person, right? That I am a little bit more on the front end, right? I don't like to wait until things get really bad to start to address them. Some people do, right? We, we kind of live in a culture of like, I'm going to avoid that until it's actually a situation that I, that I have to address. I would say that we do see a lot of people for peak performance, right? There's nothing necessarily horribly wrong. They just want their brain to be the absolute best that it can be, right? As a culture, we focus a little bit neck down. You know, we, we eat right, we take supplements, we do all the things. What are we doing to, to focus neck up, right? What are we doing to flex our, our best asset and to optimize our best asset? I would say I generally tend to see people on the back end, and this is, it's kind of a bummer. It's just the reality that the way in which our healthcare system works, I see people who have done a couple of years of talk therapy. I believe in talk therapy. It's amazing. I'm, I'm a, my license is clinical mental health. Um, I see people who have been on meds forever, right? And, and finally are, are fed up with it, or it's just, it's never really done what they, what they need it to do when the side effects are becoming unmanageable. I would love to see people who are going, hey, you know, what used to be creativity now has turned into distractibility. What used to be, I would just get in the zone. I was hyper-focused. Yeah, I felt a little anxiety. Now feels, man, it, it's getting a little bit out of control. I would love to see people when they're in that state. I tend to see people a little bit further down the road. So I, and don't get me wrong. I definitely do see people early intervention. It's not the norm. Yeah, that's kind of what I assume, right? It's like wait until something bad happens before we take the pill or get any type of, of therapy or any type of testing. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunately part of, part of the healthcare system. So what about people that uh, are in businesses and, uh, you know, like executive type of people making big decisions, a lot of stress? Is this something valuable for them as well? Oh, my gosh. I have seen so many professional athletes football, baseball, golf, all these professional athletes. I see a lot of CEOs. Again, this is generally what we would consider kind of more peak performance type training. They're, you're a high functioning person. How do you have that edge? Right. And we, we talk about that in golf, right? Rachel and myself are, are golfers. We love golfing. And you're talking about a, a, a high achieving golfer. They're on hole 18. They're 10 strokes down, looking so good, hit a bad tee shot. Do you crumple? It, that's a, that's a head game at that I point, do. right? Are you? Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, you watch people fall apart in that moment. You hit a bad tee shot, neck shots, bad neck shots, bad. What happened? Their brain went into fight or flight, right? Hypervigilance, anxiety. They got out of the zone. They're no longer there. And everything started to unravel. The better athlete is someone who is able to stay in the zone, transition in and out of wave activity quickly. CEOs are the same way, right? They get decision fatigue. Their brains are really overstimulated. They have to make a lot of decisions. How do they go out of, you know, firing someone into making this next decision into going home and being a good father or mother or parent or whatever that looks like 
by training their brain. So absolutely, we see a ton of people who there's not something seemingly horrendously wrong. They just want their brain to be the absolute best that it can be. Which leads me into the next segment, addiction. How does neurofeedback play with addiction? Neurofeedback, there are so many studies on neurofeedback as an addition to an addiction program. So sometimes I have people come in who, you know, are, hey, I am, I am an active alcoholic. I don't have a talk therapist. I'm not an AA and I want neurofeedback to make me no longer want to drink. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, that neurofeedback is not magic. I mean, in some ways it is magic, right? But it, it ultimately it's not. Neurofeedback is going to be an incredible part of that puzzle. Now, if somebody has those other things in place or is willing to get those other things in place, because we do have to work on the behavior, right? That if you're trying to hang out with the same crowd, go to bars and magically go, drinking is no longer for me, well, no. So we need to change some behavioral things. But at the end of the day, why does your body crave something synthetic to put in? Because it's trying to do something that your brain is not able to do on its own. Alcohol increases alpha wave activity in the brain. So if you're four standard deviations below the mean in alpha, it's going to take about four drinks to get you to feel normal. We hear this from addicts a lot. Well, I don't feel high when I smoke. I feel normal. I don't feel drunk when I drink. I feel normal. Honestly, they probably do because they're, this synthetic substance is regulating something in their brain that their brain is unable to regulate on its own. So if we can go in and if we can help regulate that neurologically, we are going to really help that, that process of healing. So when, whenever you uh, design these treatment protocols, are they, are they designed differently for each type of problem, whether it be anxiety, depression? The way that we do neurofeedback, brain code centers, absolutely. There is no one size fit all plug and play that does not exist for brain code. That's why we do a brain map. Every brain map is literally a fingerprint to that person, right? Even if, you know, the day changes, you move your finger around, maybe you cut it, it's still your fingerprint, right? And so our treatment team, we sit down as a team and we create a series of individualized protocols for that individual person. So no true brain maps can look the same. No two sets of protocols can look the same. Everything has to be completely tailored. Okay. So I, I've got to ask you this. And again, obviously we understand how HIPAA works, right? So, but I want to ask you this. Give me two instances that people have come into your place that were just mind-blowing changes. Oh my gosh. I could give you 50. I could give you probably a thousand. I, I was going to say, I bet you there's a yeah, thousand. I, oh man. I could give you probably 2000. We've treated so many amazing people. I'm thinking of one person in specifically who came in and crippling anxiety. And sometimes, you know, anxiety is more generalized and sometimes it's really specific. This was car anxiety that I cannot drive. I am crippled by the idea of driving, traveling, couldn't get on a plane. I mean, taking multiple Xanax to even get in a car to try to go anywhere, just horrible crippling anxiety. And looking at this person's brain map, tons and tons of overactivity, fast wave activity, tons of fast wave activity, prefrontal cortex. We make our decisions in our prefrontal cortex. This is our decision-making center. And so about, I would say probably 40 sessions into neural feedback, completely different human being. 60 sessions in, graduated from treatment. I've actually never seen this person again. Sometimes people come in and do booster sessions. Sometimes they don't. I recommend it, but some people say, hey, I don't, I don't necessarily need it. This isn't like going to the dentist for me. I'm all set. Life-changing. This person flew to China. That is not a quick flight after doing neurofeedback with us. Incredibly tangible change. One other person that I'm thinking of was a young person, uh, six years old, 
who was adopted from birth. And that's something that is tough to hear from parents. Like, well, we picked them up from the hospital. There's nothing wrong. We know about inner utero trauma, right? That trauma does not only start at birth, trauma starts in utero. So this child was showing, you know, all signs of reactive attachment, very aggressive, super reactive, really underdeveloped. Neurofeedback was incredibly impactful, not only for this child, but for their family, right? As one member of a family has a ripple effect on the rest of the family. This child, I was actually hearing things from the parents' friends on their soccer team. What are you doing? Did you medicate so-and-so because they're a completely different kid, not getting in fights, not being reactive, not, not yelling, getting along with siblings, being respectful to parents, saying I love you and meaning it? Absolutely life transformation change. I mean, it's just, yeah, it just kind of blows me away because I, I got to even admit on, on my end of the spectrum, um, I'm probably as guilty as anybody because I can probably think of 100,000 people that I, I didn't do my research on, didn't even know brain code existed until I heard about you guys. And then, and it does. It's, um, I totally see how, you know, this is probably far better than most other types of treatments that are out there. And, and I'm, I'm actually thinking of several different types of people. The one I talked about, but I know some athletes that, you know, are going to the next level. I know they're not prepared for it because they have that juvenile brain and they're just not ready to take that next big leap. And, and I think a lot of that comes from wisdom, right? When you get old, I mean, I'm only 27, but I aged pretty fast and, uh, it's, uh, progeria, I think is what they call that. Right. Producer Chad, I got progeria. I'm only 27, but I look 53 and, Listen, um, I've been 29 for at least six years. Yeah. Hey, that's beautiful. It's beautiful. But, you know, I, I really see this as such a huge benefit, and, and I'm, really, I'm really pleased that, that uh, you guys agreed to come on the show because um, we like to offer our listeners some s- things that actually make a difference. But I'm a scientist, and man, when I can see something that's tangible and be like, okay, now, you know, this makes sense, and then you can see the results uh, of something that then happens afterwards— that really intrigues me. So I'm, I'm really appreciative that you guys came on, and I, and I hope people will look you guys up. And, and uh, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and sharing some of this knowledge and understanding. And, and I really do hope people um, uh, uh, listen to this because I think it ought to be the first step. I would do this first. If this doesn't work, then you know what? If you need to, go the drugs, do whatever you got to do. But uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, one, just one more thing. We brain code centers offer a hundred percent free consultation. So we do 45 minute consultations completely for free. Rachel and I do those personally. So that's not a job that we have passed off. That is a job that we have wanted to hold on to as we love educating and we love instilling hope and having impact. That's truly our goal. That's another reason Rachel and I tour the country and keynote speak on mental wellness and brain health. And truly just so people know that there's another option that if they choose counseling, if they choose medication, there is no shame in that game. Do what you have to do for your mental health. We want them to know that there's another option at least available to them, which is why we do free consultations. So if people have questions, if people want to learn more, um, www.braincodecenters.com, they can check out our Instagram at braincodecenters. And we would love to just meet people and educate and let people know that there's another option and that there absolutely is hope that the way they're living isn't the way that it has to continue. You know what? Thank you so much, Angie, for coming on the show. And, and, uh, I really do. I really appreciate this. And I think you guys are doing something pretty special and, and, and I hope more people become aware of it. That's obviously why we wanted to run the show to make our listeners aware that there is another option. So again, 
appreciate everything you did. I'd like to stay in contact with you. Uh, I have a lot more questions, I'm sure, uh, as we get going, but uh, I really do appreciate you coming on and giving us your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It has been a very fun time. Thank you so much.